Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 30th of October. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, we'll be looking at a Spanish government plan that might ban some domestic short-haul flights if implemented. Is this a realistic proposal? And is there precedent for it? Stay tuned for an overview. Just before we dive into the main energy and climate stories, making headlines around the world, I wanted to get your views on something. We want the jolt to be as interactive as possible in the short time that we have together on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So to that end, here's an energy transition question to ponder. There'll be links to a poll in the show notes, or look out for it on Foresight social media channels. Then tune in on Friday, and we'll take a look at the results. So, here we go. The European Union is legally obligated to achieve climate neutrality by 2050. That means emissions must be reduced to such a low level that carbon sinks and technology can neutralise their impact on the climate. There are doubts about whether 2050 is soon enough for the EU to meet its Paris Agreement objectives. So here's the question. Do you think that it's feasible that the EU will improve the 2050 date within, say, the next 18 months to something like 2045 or even 2040? Would politics and public opinion even allow for that? I know what I think, but I'm interested in what you think. So please do vote and share the poll as well so we can get a really wide sample. Now, let's get into what's been happening in the world of energy and climate. The United Kingdom's oil and gas regulator has awarded 27 new exploration licenses for the North Sea today, after the government insisted that new fossil fuels are consistent with plans to go net zero by 2050. That is a stance not shared by the United Nations and the scientific community. Shell, Equinor, Total Energies and BP were among the successful applicants, although some producers shunned the application process to protest against a windfall tax. Greenpeace and other climate groups denounced the award and planned to appeal a court decision that allowed the licences to be doled out. Britain currently produces about 1.3 million barrels equivalent per day, and that number is expected to shrink to around 200,000 by mid-century. China has installed 172 gigawatts of renewable energy this year alone, according to state regulators. That is more than Spain and Italy's total installed capacity. China's January-September efforts are a 93% increase on the same period last year, and it takes renewable share of power generation up to 49.6%. Officials say that this now outstrips coal-fired power. Solar PV is the biggest source of renewable energy, followed by hydropower, wind, and then some biomass. In Germany, energy giant Siemens Energy has admitted it is in talks with banks and the German government about guarantees needed to strengthen its balance sheet. Siemens has been rocked by soaring losses at its wind energy division and is reportedly seeking up to 16 billion euros in support. More a financial backstop than outright state aid, uh, Siemens Energy wants guarantees so it can realise its vast backlog of projects, which is currently worth an estimated 109 billion euros. Former parent company Siemens, uh, which is still a shareholder, has not ruled out pitching in. Talks with the government lasted through the weekend and are still ongoing. The wind sector in general has faced a tough time lately, 
and the EU stepped in last week to try and help shore up the industry. For more on that, have you listened to last Wednesday's Jolt? You can find a link in the show notes. In Nigeria, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, touched down this weekend to start an official trip aimed at strengthening bilateral ties. That will reportedly include energy cooperation, in particular securing natural gas exports from the 10th largest gas shipper in the world. Germany currently imports crude oil, but no gas from Nigeria. Scholz is quoted as saying that German companies are looking forward to cooperating with Nigerian gas companies. The Chancellor is also likely to continue his hydrogen diplomacy, potentially sounding out Nigeria as a potential partner in that regard. In Malaysia, state-owned energy firm Petronas is ready to invest $1.6 billion in an Indian green ammonia project in return for a 30% stake. The venture, run by one of India's biggest renewables companies, expects to start ammonia exports within the next two years and hit 5 million tonnes by 2030. Petronas hopes to use the green energy to hit its own climate and emissions reduction targets. Produced by combining renewable sourced hydrogen and nitrogen, green ammonia is forecasted to make a big dent in the emissions profile of the fertilisers sector, as well as potentially replacing heavy fuel oil as a shipping fuel. California wants to ease the stress on its electrical grid by making swimming pools more energy efficient. New rules recently agreed mean that all new pools must come with equipment that adjusts energy usage to non-peak hours. Regulators say that once all pools transfer to these new smart devices, it will be the equivalent to taking more than 80,000 cars off the road. Pools are the biggest energy cost for their owners, and there are 1.3 million of them in the state. A trade body for the pool sector says that more than 15,000 are expected to be added every year, meaning this definite first world problem is absolutely a problem nonetheless. Good on California for trying to do something about it anyway. And in Australia, the National Science Agency has reported a breakthrough in concentrated solar thermal storage. As part of a research project with the aim of storing as much heat as possible, the agency says it has reached another milestone by reaching 803 degrees Celsius in testing. That is thanks to using ceramic tiles that are as fine as grains of sand and which are able to withstand monumentally high temperatures. Higher temperatures means more heat, which means more potential energy generation. As the tiles cool, they release heat, which can then be used for a variety of processes. The current generation of storage options can only handle something like 600 degrees, often less than that, so this new step forward could unlock massive storage capacity, especially in a sun-baked country like Australia. Researchers also plan to go up to 1000 degrees. That's all of your news updates for today. Now, let's move on to a closer look at the story of the moment. Have you ever looked out of a plane's window at 30,000 feet and thought, wait, I'm flying? How? It is arguably one of the greatest achievements of human engineering, and one that is consistently unappreciated by the millions of passengers who board aircraft every day around the world. Aviation obviously has a climate impact because of the amount of kerosene burned in engines to get planes off the ground, and importantly, keep them there. When you factor in all the non-CO2 effects, 
The sector is responsible for about 3.5% of the global total. That number is also projected to rise fast because of more flights, airport expansions, and the growing number of people worldwide that are now able to afford plane travel. Technology is projected to do some of the heavy decarbonisation lifting, eventually, but given that no major plane manufacturer has designed, built or tested a plane powered by alternative fuels yet, let alone an airline placing actual orders, the timeline is a long one. Sustainable aviation fuels, which can reduce emissions drastically, are in their infancy and are in rather short supply. That is why governments are starting to think about how they can rein in the sector's footprint in the short term, without curtailing too dramatically people's ability to fly off wherever and whenever they want. That is why the word ban has crept into the debate. Avid listeners of The Jolt will have heard the brief news last week that Spain's prospective next government plans to ban certain short-haul domestic flights. The proposal says that routes served by a train link of two and a half hours or less could be nixed. It's a bold idea that is very much dependent on a number of factors. Chief among them is whether the incumbent socialist government, led by Prime Minister Pedro Sánchez, will succeed in cobbling together a working coalition with a left-wing party and a Catalan separatist party. If that doesn't work, fresh elections might need to be called, and this plan might plummet rather quickly down to earth. Say Sánchez does work his magic though, let's have a look at what this might mean for the aviation sector and how it might actually work. The Spanish idea follows hot on the heels of a French initiative that was forged in the crucible of the COVID-19 pandemic. When Air France needed a government bailout to ride out the global shutdown, the government put together a multi-billion euro bailout that included strings. The most notable of them was a ban on domestic flights that have regular train services of two and a half hours or less, with the main domestic carrier cajoled into agreeing. The government made it a sector-wide rule and it came into force in May. Of course, there are loopholes. Connecting flights are exempt, it only applies to domestic, so no extra support for international train travel, and any replacement rail services must be regular enough to satisfy passenger needs. The cutoff point also suspiciously falls short of affecting the extremely popular Paris-Marseille flight route. So the number of flights affected is not that significant. But the ban has survived both national and EU level legal challenges, meaning there is precedent and perhaps a template for other countries to follow. Vamos España! Two of the top three busiest domestic routes in Europe are in Spain. Madrid-Mallorca and Madrid-Barcelona see passenger numbers in the millions every year. The former will obviously not fall into the remit of a ban, because Mallorca is an island, but Madrid-Barcelona is a contender. High-speed rail can take as little as two and a half hours, and the recent opening up of the line to outside competition has made ticket prices very competitive. It is also quicker than the plane, when city centre to city centre travel times are factored in. It would likely take an immense amount of political wrangling to ban this particular route, but the payoff both domestically and internationally could be substantial. Other routes like Barcelona-Valencia could be less politically toxic, but the central government will have to make sure it does not anger regions that might feel like they are being cut off. Some mayors in Andalusia, in the south of the country, have already reacted negatively in that regard. Uh, the aviation industry too is already pushing for the same connecting flight loophole that France introduced. The sector says that until there are regular high-speed trains stopping at major airports, 
it's not even feasible to cancel any domestic flights. Currently, high-speed trains only stop in city stations, uh, but there are plans to add a stop at Madrid's airport, for example. A report earlier this year by consultancy giant PwC also concluded that a flight ban could cost 6,000 jobs under certain conditions. Uh, so the government will have to walk a very fine line, given that Spain has one of the highest unemployment rates in Europe. There is a precedent of well-performing high-speed rail eaten into short-haul flight markets. Eurostar, the cross-channel operator, has halved the London-Paris flight demand since it launched back in 1996, and the trend is only going downwards. Congested skies over southern England, environmental awareness, and possible new competition on the rail route could kill off planes in the long run. Eurostar had hoped to do the same with its Amsterdam route, which launched a couple of years ago, but the pandemic blew a huge hole in its budgets. The impact of Brexit, which has increased the number of border checks needed, has also limited capacity at train terminals. That's not something that Spain's government has to think about, of course. So where else could follow suit? In the United Kingdom, the main thoroughfares are north, towards Scotland, and overseas to Belfast. One of them cannot be replaced by rail, unless Boris Johnson's completely mad and unfeasible plan to build a bridge or tunnel to Ireland ever materialises. Uh, spoiler, it won't. Uh, and as we've seen in previous episodes of The Jolt, the UK government has no real interest uh, in even laying the first rails needed to get high speed to Scotland. It has also relaxed air passenger duties, so let's forget about Britain being a serious country anytime soon in this regard. To get a little more insight about what climate groups think about all this, I asked Greenpeace's Tom Guelan, a transport campaigner, whether the idea has merit and what else governments should be considering. So is the news that um, Spain's prospective government uh, would like to ban certain short-haul flights um, a good step? What do you think of that um, idea? I mean, it's just a draft idea at the moment, but um, you know, if it comes to pass, what do you think about it? Uh, so it's definitely a good step uh, in the in the right direction. The same way the the, the French uh, the French ban was a good step in the right direction. It's nowhere near uh, enough. So what we what we call for is a ban on short haul flights where you have uh, train alternatives of six hours rather than two point five hours. So obviously with the with the um, the threshold being two point five hours, you have far fewer uh, routes that are that are concerned. So I think for Spain that would mainly be Madrid, Barcelona, Madrid, Sevilla. Whereas if you you know move uh, move the threshold up to six hours, you have way more uh, way more routes uh, covered, including Barcelona to Sevilla, uh, Madrid to Bilbao, and uh, and quite a few others. So obviously the impact is bigger. Uh, that being said, it's still a step in the right direction. It's better to have this than you know not have a ban, uh, not have a ban uh, uh, at all. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I know that for example, uh, you know, just Madrid, Madrid, Barcelona is one of the busiest uh, routes in Europe on the you know on the short haul flights. So that in itself is already a big, uh, a big saving in, in terms of emissions. If uh, if it does happen, that will be uh, obviously really good as well in terms of uh, of example. Because right now, France is the only country that has uh, gone ahead with that. Uh, so obviously, the more countries uh, follow suit, the better. You mentioned other countries. That's a good like segue. Actually, um, are there any countries in particular, in Europe, elsewhere, who you think are quite well placed with their you know, rail networks and their appetite for maybe? shifting modes of transport that could be next and you know the european union does play a big role in this its legal services said that the french ban was okay do what you want um is there anything else that it could be doing to actually make it easier for countries to, to do something 
So um, in terms of countries, obviously Germany and Italy would be the next, you know, the, the, the ideal uh, candidates because they have a good uh, uh, rail network and, you know, they're big countries. There's a lot of uh, domestic flights uh, in, in, in Germany and Italy. Now, uh, the German rail network, you don't have that many journeys uh, under 2.5 hours that could, you know, replace the routes. They, they would definitely need to go for a different uh, a different threshold. Uh, and in Italy, where you have, uh, in Italy, obviously the political climate is absolutely, you know, the, the current government uh, is the worst possible candidate for that kind of measure so it's unfortunately not realistic to expect it to happen there um you have belgium which has the, there is a proposal on the table in belgium and it's uh, a ban so obviously in belgium those flights are bound to be very very short and they're not the usual uh, commercial uh commercial uh, routes uh, they usually a lot of them are actually private jets uh so if that Ban would happen. Belgium would be next. It, it's a bit different uh, in that respect, but it's still, yeah, still definitely uh, would be a, a really good thing. A step in the right direction, then, but lots of untapped potential. Let's see what happens in Spain and whether a ban of some sorts does materialise. Two countries could become four, which could become eight, and so on, as these things often start slowly and then become rather widespread. For the time being, though, leaving on a jet plane will remain a rather easy option. Many thanks for joining me today. I'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of The Jolt. Please do remember to vote in the poll that I mentioned up top. Uh, links are in the show notes. Before I sign off, just a brief roundup of what else we've got for you over at foresightdk.com. Check out last week's What Matters on Poland, and stay tuned for this week's Policy Dispatch on Brazil. Also check out our latest article on how district heating and power to ex-tech make good allies. The Jolt is free to air, so please do show us some love and share the episodes if you enjoyed listening. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the jolt possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt.